Today's sermon passage is from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 4. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed." But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Amen. Thank you, Ashlyn. Uh, here at Redeemer, we're studying the book of Hebrews. Uh, our, our way of preaching is to work through books because we believe that God has spoken and what he has said is far more important than anything I could ever say to you or anyone for that matter. So we want to hear it. So last week we started uh, there in, in chapter 1, verse 1, and today um, we're going to look at the rest of chapter 1 and, and part of chapter 2. Um, we're studying Hebrews because we need Jesus. We're studying Hebrews because we need, we need to be rooted in the cross. We need to find our power in Him. We need to be carried on by Him. And, and, and Hebrews... Just page after page after page says, look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. So I'm just going to copy that, and, and week after week after week, I'm going to say, look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. And the way the author of Hebrews is going to make this argument is in the next several chapters, it, it's kind of like, my God is better than all the junk you want to trust in. You know, so Jesus is going to be better than this and better than this and better than this and better than this. And, and, and honestly, as, as modern Western people, we're going to have to really work to get into the mindset of, of why it's important 
that Jesus is better. And particularly today, because the point of this message is Jesus is better than the angels. To which most of us just don't even know what to do with that. We'll come to that in a minute. But here's the point that the verses which were just read for us, here's the the point they're driving home. Jesus is the greater son. And the greater son has given us a greater message. Let us be found receiving and believing in him. Jesus is the greater son who has given us a greater, the greater message. Let us be found receiving and believing him. So the way this point is going to be made is through two, two kind of sections. The first one is greater than angels, and the second one is a caution. And so we'll take those in turn, but the first point, if, if you're of the note-taking variety, greater than angels. And this is really found for us in, in verses 5 through 14 of chapter 1. And the main takeaway from this little section is the greater messenger brings the greater message. That's the takeaway. The greater messenger brings the greater message. But we as modern Western people, we really struggle with all this talk about angels because we think of angels in silly, sentimental ways. We think of them through TV shows that my grandmother loved called Touched by an Angel. Or silly boy movies called Angels in the Outfield. Or all of a sudden terrible teams are great. Or through modern dramas where angels run Twitter accounts under the name of God and send people to do good things in the world. Or we think of angels as these little cherubim gifts that we put on our mantle. And all of that, I'm not really interested in critiquing or rebuking anyone, but it's missing the biblical point. Because angels are never sentimental, and they're never touchy-feely, and frankly, they never give warm fuzzies. They scare people to death. What's the first word that every angel revealed in the Scripture says? What is it? Do not be afraid. To which every human says, Are you crazy? So scripturally speaking, angels are created heavenly beings who carry out God's work. I'm going to borrow from a friend and a professor of mine named George Guthrie, but I think he, he, hits, he hits the point here. In the scripture, angels are these created heavenly beings who carry God's message, who announce God's work, who protect God's people, and who bring worship to God. So angels are these divine beings who are not God. They're created But they announce God's message. Remember, the word angel literally means messenger. You could just replace that in your English Bible. If we go all the way back to the KGV, we could save ourselves a whole lot of trouble, but I'm not going to open that debate today. The word just means messenger. But when the messenger appears, they even reveal God's word. They announce key events of God's work. They protect God's people. And they bring worship to to God. So let's just use the life of Jesus. 
How did Mary the virgin know that she was pregnant with the Son of God? An angel appeared and brought her the word. How did Joseph know that she wasn't lying? An angel appeared and explained what was going on. When Jesus fasted in the wilderness for 40 days, who ministered to Him? The angels did. And on that first resurrection Sunday, when they walked into the empty tomb, who was there to tell them that it didn't mean what they thought it meant? The angels. So for the mindset of the recipient of Hebrews, we're not wanting to be touched by them, they're not helping our sports teams, and they're not making us a better version of ourselves. Angels bring the Word, the presence, the work, and the ministry of God to bear in the world. And the people of God were attuned to look for the next messenger who would announce the next event so that the people would know what to do. It's very different, right? So now when I say, Jesus is greater than the angels, oh, Jesus is greater than the bringer of the Word. So His Word is better. Jesus is greater than the announcement of all the events because His event is the event. It is better. Jesus is going to work to protect the people in a way that no angelic being could because He's going to save them forever and protect them forever because His deliverance is better. And while Jesus is God and He's worthy of worship, He is going to cultivate the worship of God in the greater way by turning the hearts of the rebellious back to the King. Jesus is greater than the angels, which means the Word that He delivered is better than the Word that was delivered before, which means the salvation which He promised is the salvation, the salvation that all of eternity has waited on. The greater messenger, the messenger has come. Look for no other. So most of you didn't wake up today looking for an angel to come change your May the 12th. But my question to us modern people is, what are we looking to to deliver us and de save us and give us that breakthrough that we think we need besides Jesus? Because He is the messenger with the word and with the power to deliver. Now, don't take my word for that. Let's walk through this passage. And as a guy who likes to walk through the Bible and explain what it means, man, Hebrews as a book, and Hebrews chapter 1 in particular makes me really happy because here's the argument. This passage, 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 and this passage. Therefore, God has said it. It's true. It's just kind of beautiful. So the verses that Ashlyn read for us is just a long list of quotations from the Old Testament. And the way that Jewish thinkers at this time reasoned is they would just kind of add up this plus this plus this plus this plus this. I'm just going to overwhelm you with facts to the point that you go, okay, okay, I get it. He's the greater messenger. That's the point, okay? So here you go. I'm going to see if I can flood you with truth. 
Jesus is greater than the mess. He's the greater messenger. He's greater than the angels because he is the Son of God. He has a status that no angel has ever had. Chapter 5, for to which of the angels did God ever say, quoting from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Jesus is greater than the angels because he is a, the son of God. Or again, now quoting from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Again, God saying, the final messenger who is to come will be my son, and I will be his father, and we will have a unique relationship never to be replicated again. Jesus is the unique son of God, and no heavenly being can claim that status except for Jesus. Somebody should say amen. Amen. Thank you. Number two. Jesus is greater than the angels because the angels worship and serve Jesus. Jesus is greater than the angels because the angels worship and serve Jesus. Look at verse 6. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43, let all God's angels worship him. So God the Father is declaring that the angels are to worship the Son. Seems pretty clear. Then, verse 7, of the angels, he says, quoting from Psalm 104, verse 4, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. That really points straight over to verse 14. Are, not all, are, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? But on whose behalf do they serve? They serve on behalf of the Son. So Jesus is greater than the angels because the angels worship Him and the angels serve Him. He is our God who is worthy of worship. Number three, Jesus is greater than the angels because He reigns over everything with the blessing of the Father. That's verse 8 and following, quoting from Psalm 45, verses 6 through 7. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of, of gladness beyond your companions. The Son has a throne over everything forever. Thrones are for kings who reign. So Jesus is the king over everything, and therefore he's greater than the messengers. Fourth, Jesus is greater than the messengers because he reigns forever. Verse 10 and following, quoting from Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Jesus is greater than the angels because Jesus will reign forever. There will be no end to his kingdom. Fifth, Jesus is greater than the angels because he is the Lord over all. Verse 13, quoting from Psalm 110.1, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? These angelic, these, this angelic role, these messengers of God, which we have no reason to doubt still exist and still function, they carry out the work of God through the work of the Son 
to protect and uphold those who belong to his kingdom forever. And Jesus is greater than all those beings. If Jesus is greater than, if he is the greatest messenger, then his word is to be heard and trusted. If Jesus is the greater, the great event, the bringer of the great event that changes all of eternity, then clinging to Jesus is our only hope. Now, I'm gonna, I know pastors need to get like into practical takeaways, but before we do that, we just got to stop. This is a question of foundational philosophical commitment. It's a question of faith. It's a question of our hearts. Do I see Jesus as the greatest and last messenger of God who brings the saving work of God to the people of God? Do I see him in that capacity? So perhaps you're here and you're like, no, dude, I don't. You guys are crazy. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad someone drug you here today. Or I'm glad God woke you up and you didn't know what to do and you came down from the apartments and you're here. Whatever it is, I'm glad you're here and I would say to you today, look to Jesus. Look to him. Consider him. Read this passage and just pray something like this. God, would you help me to wrestle with, is Jesus your son? And did he do what this passage says that he did? And can I trust him? Just, just ask that. I think God will meet you in that and do show himself to you. But for those of us who are here under the banner of Jesus, under the name of Christ, what we say when we say, I belong to Christ, is He is God's Savior. He is God's Word. He is our only hope. I will look to no other. So maybe today, you just need to seal it. I will look to no other. And then you need to ask this question. Where else am I looking? Where else am I looking? For clarity. Where else am I looking for deliverance? Where else am I looking for joy? Where else am I looking for hope? There is no greater truth. There is no greater messenger. There is no greater deliverer. There is no greater restorer to God than Jesus, his son. So look to him and settle for no replacements. So, maybe some of you came here today and you said, where does this whole argument about angels, like, like where's that going? I'm glad you asked. Verses two, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, answer the question, what do we do with this? What do we do with this truth? And so I've titled this point, if you're a note-taker, a caution. And I did that on purpose because I wanted to catch your attention. I almost titled it a warning, but it's not really, it's a caution. And we modern American middle to upper class people hate warnings. We hate restrictions. We hate cautions. We just want to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, in the quantity that we want to do it, for as long as we want to do it. We hate boundaries. But this passage says, be careful. Be careful. So it's important that before I even start talking, we begin to make peace with the idea that warnings and cautions are often 
a good blessing for us. I venture to guess that if your toddler was about to toddle out into Bonita Parkway, you would issue a stern caution. Right? Why? Because that is good for you and your family and your toddler and all of us. So we have to make peace that warnings are not always negative. They're not always bad. And the more we grow in Christ, one barometer of our spiritual maturity is to start to make peace and sense of the reality that every law, every commandment, every warning, and every exhortation in the scripture is not intended to limit our freedom, but it's intended to guide us down the path of blessing. These four verses are here for your eternal good. I promise. So let's look at them. What do they say? Well, it's, it, it's a warning. It's all right there in verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So there's the warning. Pay close attention to the message revealed by Christ because drifting away from it is dangerous. There's your warning. And I think the, the, the choice of word drift is really important. The author of Hebrews here is not writing to obstinate people who are thumbing their noses at God and God's authority. He's writing to people that love the Lord that are walking in His grace. And people who love the Lord and walking in His grace, our greatest enemy is just slowly drifting away from His Word and His ways and His power and His mercy and His grace. Most of us are not inclined to turn and walk away and say, I'm done with you, Lord. But the question is, might we look up and be found further away from the dock than where we started? Things in water that aren't attached to the anchor drift away. Have you ever gone to the ocean? Walked out into the water straight in front of your family, like your whole family's on a blanket, you walk straight out in front of them, kind of turn your back, start diving around, playing, really paying no care to your family or the world, and you look up like 30 minutes later, and you're just as far from the entrance to the water as when you started, but you're about three-quarters of a mile down the beach, and you can't really see your family on the, 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 the blanket anymore. That's drifting. That's drifting. So pay attention is a call to cling to Christ. It's a call to anchor yourself in Him, His ministry, His Word, His deliverance, His power, and not settle for anything less than Him. Because to choose to settle for anything less than Him is to start drifting. Now, I want to do a little application even before I start explaining, okay? Let's put some things in categories. Because I know these warnings in the New Testament, they're really hard for us, right? Like, how do we get our minds around these warnings, okay? They're good. There's five of them in Hebrews, so this is just the tip of the warning iceberg for us. 
here's what we need to know. These warnings right here are, are not written to people who don't belong to Christ. People who don't belong to Christ, they get their own warning. Turn and come to Jesus. Repent and believe. To use a water metaphor, people who don't belong to Christ are out to sea, looking for direction, looking for an anchor. And if that's you today, come to Jesus. He is good and merciful and powerful and great and will minister to you and care for you and redeem you and restore you. Come to Him. So then what with the, what's, what's with these warnings written to the church? I think we need to chase these in two directions, okay? I need your thinking, Cat. Like this one's going to take your brain for just a minute, okay? I need your thinking, Cat. First of all, genuine Christians, genuinely tethered to Christ, don't always just stay in the same position. We drift and we come close. We drift and we come close. We drift and we come close. I mean, all of us should say a hearty amen when I say, don't we wish it wasn't that way? But in reality, that's the way it is. And as long as we're on the, as long as we belong to Him, as long as we're answering the question, what's your hope in the world? It's Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. I know His name is Christ. I cling to Him. I profess Him. He's my only hope. I'm walking with Him. No matter where I'm drifting, I'm with Christ. And Romans 8 says, if you're truly in Christ, you will forever truly be in Christ. Nothing will snatch you out of His hand. So one of, but the warning is, our enjoyment of the fruits of the gospel and our enjoyment of the presence and the ministry of God will wax and wane based on how much we are clinging to Jesus. So Christian, cling to Christ and don't drift. Because the reality is we'll be in the water until God comes and takes us home. So cling to Him. I'm just chasing this water metaphor farther, so just keep going. But there's, a, there's a second bit to these warnings in the book of Hebrews. And here's the thing. Imagine a whole bunch of boats tethered to an anchor, okay? But what if there were some boats mixed in all amongst those boats who aren't actually tethered to the anchor? Well, because they're all in the crowd and they're all around the anchor, they might look like they're tethered. They might pretend to be tethered. They might even think that they're tethered. But in space and time, things are going to open up and the boat that's not tethered is just going to drift and drift and drift and drift and to the point that it's going to go, oh man, I wasn't tethered. And so one thing that the Scripture makes clear is there are people who are a part of the church who don't actually know Christ. And we don't celebrate that. I don't want that, but the book after book after book in the New Testament makes this category of people who are amongst the church but don't belong to Christ. And that's not how it's supposed to be. And so the message would be, repent and believe and become tethered to the anchor where you will never drift away. But we have to preach as if there's 120 of us in this room right now. It is possible that some of us are the boat just amongst the ships with no rope tied to the anchor. 
And if that's us, my plea with you this day would be cling to Jesus, come to him, stop pretending, stop trusting in external performance and and internal hope to deliver you only Jesus can. And there are very likely some of us in this room who need today through these warning passages to be tugged by God to see, you know what? Perhaps I'm not tethered to Christ. But you can be. You can be. All we have to do is repent and believe. And he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy day, and I'll give you rest for your souls. So here in a suburb of Nashville, Tennessee, in the bastion of the Bible Belt, I just want to say, stop, stop pretending. We don't have to pretend. And if we are pretending, God already knows. Let him minister to us by bringing us close to Christ. So maybe if you're wondering, okay, pastor, how do I know if I'm just drifting or if I'm untethered? How do I know if I'm a Christian who's struggling or if I don't belong to Christ? I'll give you a few questions, then we're going to wrap this up. First, what are you trusting today? I don't care how many times you've been baptized. I don't care how many past experiences you've had. I don't care how many traditions you've had those experiences in. What the scripture says is those who trust Christ will trust Christ today. So the question is, am I today trusting Jesus and Jesus alone to take away my filthy sin and make me acceptable to the Father? Second question. To help me wrestle with where am I? Genuine Christians admit, confess, and turn away from our sin. We all sin. But genuine Christians admit, confess, and turn away from our sin. Do you know why genuine Christians do that? Because we can! Jesus died for those sins. God's not against us. I don't have to hide anything because Jesus has already taken all the ugly and given me all the great. And I don't deserve any of it. But I don't have to pretend. So I ask you, when's the last time before God and before others you've genuinely come clean about your stuff and owned it and confessed it and believe that the cross covered it too. Genuine Christians repent often. I've been in wedding mode this weekend, so I got love on my brain. But genuine Christians have a love for God and a love for the, brother, the brothers. Throughout the book of 1 John, you have this, 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 this message of God is love and God has loved us and we who know his love will have love flow out of us. Love for God and love for others. Andy read earlier the words of Jesus, the greatest commandment. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Well, I can't do that in my own strength, but as a redeemed child of God who has the Spirit of God dwelling in me, who's, who's experienced tangibly the love of God, you know what flows out of me? Love for God and love for others. That's what the Spirit of God does. So where's the love? Where's the love? And don't sing secular songs because that's not what they mean, but, but where's the love? So here's the warning. Pay much closer attention to what you've heard lest you drift away. And then, why? So here's the, he, he makes the argument we were making earlier. The angels were sent by God, the messengers, to bring the law to Moses, the mediator, and Moses delivered the law to the people. That's Galatians 3.19, and it's said right here. And that law of Moses had consequences for those who rejected it. But we have something greater. We have Christ and His Word. And Christ declared it. And those who heard it declared it. And then God vindicated their preaching of it by sending signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's the book of Acts. The greater messenger is here. Let's cling to him. The greater messenger is here. Let's believe in him. The greater messenger is here. Let's hear his word and let's follow him. The greater messenger is here. Let's fight drift and let's be anchored people. And let's help one another be anchored people. And let's mercifully help those who are not anchored find the anchor who is Christ. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and come. So I'm going to give you an opportunity. Here in just a minute, we're going to do something we do each week. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper. A piece of bread representing his body broken for us. A cup representing his blood poured out for us. And when we take that this, this morning, what we're saying is, is, I need Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I cling to Jesus. That's what we're saying. And so, here, Redeemer, if you're a Christian, if you've professed faith in Jesus, you've made that known to the church, we invite you to take this bread and cup with us as a declaration of your need for Christ. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, we would ask that you let the bread and the cup pass, and it's not because we want to exclude you. But it's because taking this bread and taking this cup is saying, I belong to Jesus, and I need Him. And until you can say, I belong to Jesus can't declare that. But I would say to you today, consider him and you can meet him. So we're going to pass out the bread and the cup. I'm going to invite you to sing. I'll come back in just a few minutes and we'll take the bread and cup together. But let's consider Christ and our need for him.